0: Well, good morning. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jamie Moore. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here. And we're so glad that you're here to worship with us. If you would turn into your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We are continuing in a series on spiritual gifts. We were in 1 Corinthians, then in Ephesians. Now in Romans chapter 12, finishing up a couple final spiritual gifts. And today we're looking at the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership, a spiritual gift. Did you know that leadership is a spiritual gift? It's a spiritual gift. And I will say this, I have found myself sobered this week. Thinking about leadership. In fact, I've been crying this week. (laughs) Sweetheart, sweet one. Because we are seeing two types of leadership on display in the world stage this week. one leadership that is focused on position and power and destruction of others for one's own vision. It makes sense what Putin wants, which is the glory of the USSR again, it's clear what his vision is. The problem is he is happy to destroy others in service of that vision. So there is an exercise of power and destruction of others. And then there is another type of leadership that we see by all reports that I can tell. Sometimes it's hard to tell if news is real or not. But the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, is offering a different type of leadership, isn't he? A leadership of service and sacrifice for those that are around him. And a willingness to die for those in his care. So the big idea of the message today, when we talk about the gift of leadership, the big idea is this, Kingdom leadership is all about following the greatest leader. His name was Jesus. His name is Jesus. And the leadership of Jesus is not position and power. In fact, he gave up position and he gave up power. The leadership of Jesus is about service and sacrifice of one's own self for the good of others. So that is the big idea today is that leadership is not about you and your position and power. Leadership is about others and sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That is, in fact, the gift of leadership. That's what we're saying today, this morning. And I've been sobered this week because there is a lot of leadership all around us, and there's a lot of talk about leadership. But Jesus Has a very specific way of leading. He came not to serve, but not to be served, but to serve. So, can we take a few moments just to pray for uh, Ukraine? Let's just take a few moments. I'm gonna give us some time of silence. I give you freedom if you wanna pray out loud. The Lord can interpret all of our prayers out loud. So let's just take a few moments and pray. We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Russia and Ukraine. We want to pray for the entire people of Ukraine and the people of Russia. We want to pray for peace and a ceasing of all bloodshed. So let's just enter into a time of prayer. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Father, we grieve the loss of life, we grieve war, we grieve bloodshed, we grieve the destruction of those image bearers who you created. And we cry out that you would intervene and bring peace. I ask for a thwarting of Putin's plans. We ask for peace. And Father, we lift up the believers in Russia and Ukraine. I ask for courage. I ask for a nearness of your presence. I ask for boldness. I ask for protection. You've told us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. So we ask for peace. And we ask that the name and glory of Jesus would reign all over our planet. And we look forward to the day where you, righteous King and victorious Savior Jesus, comes and makes all things right. We long for that day, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're about to begin the Lenten season. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, where the start of Lent. And so I wanted to give you all um, a heads up about what is happening this Wednesday. We are calling an all-church day of fasting and prayer this Wednesday. Um, We're going to invite everyone to be a part of that. Um, And we're going to have this sanctuary open starting at 6 a.m., and it will be open all day. There will be worship music going on. It will be open for you to come and pray, or you can pray where you are at. But 7 o'clock, our normal worship and prayer gathering time, 7 o'clock, we will come and we will pray, we will intercede together, um, and we will cap that day. Um, I've put up here a couple of things. Sometimes people are a little confused about fasting. Uh, Traditionally, fasting includes food and is, is really, frankly, uh, traditionally is restricted to food. Uh, but I just want to encourage you with a couple of thoughts on this, um, and is this. When you're thinking about fasting, uh, the point is not giving up food or not giving up food or giving up TV or not giving up TV. The point is prayer and engaging with the Lord. So I'll say this. If you're wondering, what should I fast from? Here's a good way to answer that question. Whatever your body will be mad that you're abstaining is great to fast. (laughs) Does that make sense? Uh, Because it becomes a trigger and a reminder that he is the bread of life and he is the living water. So uh, it may be that some of us are so quick to this, like when I'm bored or when I'm sad, right? Right? When I'm frustrated at somebody. It could be that just not doing this, your body will start to scream at you. Uh, I would take that as a, a chance to fast. Does that make sense? Or it could be food, anything. Anything that your body will cry out and say, ah, I don't like that, I want this. Use that as a trigger during the day to go, Father, I am grateful for the hungers that I have in my body, and I want to hunger for you more than this thing. And so I'm going to give you this time, rather than uh, fulfilling that desire, physical, emotional, spiritual, I'm going to fill it with you, Jesus. Does that make sense? So using it as a trigger for prayer. And we're going to invite everyone to pray uh, as you feel led. We, we want to pray for things like repentance, pray for revival, pray for the um, Lenten season and Holy Week. We want to pray for uh, Ukraine. I want to pray for the Jack Deere conference that's coming up next weekend. So take this as an opportunity to say no to the flesh and to describe, tell Jesus, I hunger for you more than this thing that my body is crying out for. And then at 7 p.m., we'll worship and pray together. Sound good? Okay, so we're, I know it doesn't sound good. Like nobody is like, yes, I love fasting. This is great. <laughs> I realize that. Uh, but it is a significantly beneficial spiritual discipline for the hunger and zeal for God when I say no to my flesh. Also, want to remind you about the Jack Deere Conference, spiritual gift conference that is next weekend. Please get your tickets for that. If you cannot make it, you cannot be here, you got stuff going on on the weekend, purchase an online streaming ticket. Same price, 15 bucks purchase the online ticket so that you have access to all of the content. And you can go back and watch it three weeks from now if you want. So make sure that you get that ticket for online access if you can't make it in person to the conference. Okay, I think that's all the pre-stuff that I need to talk about. Romans 12, the gift of leadership. Uh, My discussion will be in four parts. Uh, First part, is this. We just want to discuss what does leadership look like in Paul's writing? What is he saying about this gift of leadership in Romans chapter 12? Secondly, I want to just give some principles, some biblical principles to kingdom leadership. Thirdly, I'll just give some practical steps. How do we apply this? And then we're going to finish with worship and coming to the table and celebrating communion together. That's the game plan uh, for, for this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we will go after Romans 12. Abba, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Jesus, we thank you that you give us access to the Father by grace through faith. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the very Spirit of the Father and the Son dwelling within us. And we thank you for your presence here, Father, Son, and Spirit. we yield to you this morning, we yield to your word, and I ask Jesus that you will speak clearly to us this morning. So we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, part one, leadership in Paul's writing. This is Romans 12. I'm actually going to start in verse four. This is Romans 12, verse four. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He says this, for as in one body we have many members And the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So he's using the analogy of a body. We all have, we're all like different body parts in this body, and we need each other. If we were all eyeballs, it'd be a weird-looking body. If we all have the same gift, that's weird. It'd be like, a it's just a body of hands. Can you imagine? Everything is a hand. Freaky. So we're, we're all members of one another. That's why you got two hands. You got two feet. You got nose, eyeballs. So so we. This is verse five. Though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads, this is the one we're looking at today, the one who leads to do that with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We need each other and we need our gifts working together. And It's interesting, in a North American context, uh, we are so individualistic in our understanding of our uh, personal faith that we don't realize, I actually cannot be all, ja- all the Father wants Jamie to be without y'all. That's right. That's right. I literally can't. Like, it's not, it's not just like, oh, it'd be really nice if our whole church was all functioning together just so we could get our volunteers filled out. It's not that. It's actually not that. I know sometimes we think it's that, but it's not that. It's actually pushing against individuality this individualistic understanding of Christianity where Jamie can be all Jamie is designed to be by Jamie's self. It doesn't work that way. Paul says, we need each other. And when you are not functioning, or if I am not functioning, you are weaker and I am weaker. You are not all you could be and I am not all I can be. Does that make sense? We are in fact family. Not in name only, but in reality, spiritual reality. So this is, it's very important. I, I'm, I'm just wanting to stress. I feel like the Lord says to stress this. You may be sitting there and go, I, I don't know what my gifts are. I, I don't know how to use my gifts. Please understand, it's not a good thing if you go, well, I don't really know what it is. It's fine. I just show up. That's not good for you or us. That's why we've been taking our time through this series. It's so important. Okay. So on the specific gift, verse 8, he says, the one who leads. He used this verb, to lead. Uh, interestingly, that verb is only used by Paul. Um, and most of the time when he's talking about it, he's referring to elders or leaders in the church with some sort of position of authority. Um, But there are a couple of times, in Titus specifically, where he uses that verb, not of elders, but he uses it of ministry, doing good works, service, care for others. And so there's been some discussion as to what exactly is he talking about here. Here's the position that I'm going to take. Because all of these gifts, there's no mention of eldership here. So the position we've been taking as we've been going through these gifts is that these gifts are available to everyone. And so it's like saying this. All elders are leaders, but not all leaders are elders. Does that make sense? So that's the position that we're taking. Yes, elders, those who have authority in a space, are leaders. Yes and amen. But there are leaders who are not elders. And so as we think about this, we're just thinking through, if, if you are leading out in anything in the church, or also in the marketplace... You, are function- you can be functioning with the gift of leadership in that space. So I'm not talking about positions. I'm talking about the function of leadership in your sphere of influence, that we are leaders. So you could be an entrepreneur and you're leading a business. It could be that you are leading your family. It could be that you're leading men's ministry or women's ministry or a small group or some other thing that you are leading, yes and amen. Amen. If you have people that are looking to you, you are leading in some way. So that's what we're talking about here. And it's interesting, there's a way by which we're called to lead. Do you see it in the text? He says, the one who leads is to lead with, everybody say zeal. 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 Another word that uh, we don't use. I, I don't know that I use the word zeal in my daily life. It means eagerness, energy, effort, Earnestness, intensity, sticktuativeness—that's Jamie's made-up word. That's what that word means: zeal, passion. Now, I, I, I've just been pondering that. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? It—it it tells me this, and it confirms my own experience. Leadership is hard. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, leadership is tiring. It can be difficult because people are people. So you need zeal. You need joy. You need earnestness. You need intensity. You need effort. This isn't a walk in the park leadership. Y'all hear me? With zeal. Now, here's the question. This is what I'm going to try to answer this morning. How exactly do we get that zeal? Uh, how, how exactly are we to do this? How exactly are we to have joy in our leadership and continuing to push and to lead even when things are tough? That's what we're going to answer. Okay, part two, biblical principles of kingdom leadership. Now, I'm using a, a specific phrase here, kingdom leadership. I just want to make sure that you understand I'm defining terms here. When I say kingdom leadership, what I mean by that is Leadership that is submitted to the kingship of Jesus. That's what I mean by that. Because like I said, there could be leadership in all kinds of ways. But I'm talking about here, kingdom leadership. And that doesn't mean church leadership. Amen. Uh, it, so we've got individuals. With, Doug Moorhead owns a dentistry, right? He's building, building an entire business in dentistry. He's a kingdom leader in dentistry. Do you see what I'm saying? Not just, not just like at church is where you do kingdom stuff, and then when you go outside the church, it's just the not kingdom stuff. No, it's all kingdom leadership. Amen. If it's submitted to the kingship of Jesus. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I just want to make sure that we're clear. And so I want to contrast some of the way the world thinks about leadership and the way the Bible talks about leadership. So I've given some principles here. Number one, kingdom leaders are learning to follow. Kingdom leaders are learning to follow. Now, I had that in past tense earlier when I first wrote it down. I said, kingdom leaders have learned to follow. And I felt really good about myself. And then I heard the father, I heard the father say, Jamie, do you ever stop learning to follow me? <laughs> so listen, uh, even my sermon <laughs> is yielding to the kingship of Jesus. Sometimes I have great outlines, and then he says, we're not doing that one. We're going to do this one. Kingdom leaders are learning. It is, it is an ever-present pursuit of learning to follow. Why am I saying this? Because in the world's mind of leadership, we would look at a, someone and we would say, oh, that's a leader because that guy has vision or that girl has vision. They got the vision. They got the plan. They got all the answers. And actually in the world, we look at leaders as they're the ones that we're going to follow. But actually, the Bible shows kingdom leaders are actually ones that are the most submitted. They are the ones who are following Jesus. Are y'all hearing me? It's not about being the man. It's about following the man, Jesus. It's very specific and very different than the world's concept of leadership. The example, of course, is Moses. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, so I'd encourage you to write this down. Look at Exodus 32 and Exodus 33. Here's the story. Exodus 32. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting instructions about the tabernacle, the way God wants to worship, his worship to be. But before he can get down the mountain, Aaron, second in command, vice president, is down, st- down there with the people. And the people say, where's this Moses guy? Huh? Where's this Moses guy? What's he doing? You know what we need to do? We need our own God that we can worship because we don't know where Moses is. Follow me, Aaron is getting vision from the people he should be leading. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aaron is receiving, he's following the people. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Aaron is following people. He goes, okay, all right, take, take off your earrings, take off your necklaces, take off your gold watches, take off your Rolexes, get all your gold, throw it in here, I'm gonna make this calf and we're gonna worship this calf. Aaron is supposed to be a leader and he's getting vision from the people. He's following someone. He's following the people. That's Exodus 32. Exodus 33, God is angry with Moses and the people. He's like, I'm done with y'all. I'm going to kill all of them. We're going to start over with you, Moses. Moses like, like, no, 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 no. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. It's not just me. It's all the people. It's going to make you look bad to Egypt. They're going to be like, what's this guy doing? He's going to rescue the people and he's going to kill them. So he starts to appeal to God. Then he says to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going. If your presence is not with us, I'm not going. He, Moses is probably, other than David, you can argue is the most significant leader in Israel's history. And this leader says, if you don't lead, I'm not going. And here's, at the end of the book of Exodus, this is Exodus chapter 40, there's a little couple of sentences that show how God and the people of Israel functioned. And this is what it says. The cloud, the glory of the Lord, covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Throughout all their journeys... This is a long time. Throughout all their journeys... Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Follow me. Israel did not move unless the presence of God moved. Amen. Amen. Moses is the greatest one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history and he followed. Leadership is not about being the leader that everyone else follows. Kingdom leadership is about following the king.
1: That's good. Yes. Yes.
0: And it is that ever ever present pursuit of submitting and yielding more and, more and more and more and more and more to the king. Show me someone who is submitted to Jesus, I will show you a fantastic leader. I'm saying all this because the world values leaders who are the boss and in charge and have vision and have the plan and all the answers. In the kingdom, none of us are in control of anything. This is why one of our priorities is that we want to lead open-handed. We want to resist the spirit of control. Why? Because Because of pride, it's so easy for us to think, if I have the plan, as a pastor, it'd be so easy for Jamie or Dennis or any of the elders to go, I just need the plan, we just need the vision, we're just going to do what I want to do. But that's not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership goes like this. We're going to make our plans, we're going to set our goals, we're going to try to do the best that we can. But Jesus, if you want to do something different, we're going to do that. and we're gonna resist a temptation to control everything around us. Does that make sense? Amen. Yeah. And let me just say this, it's so easy, and I feel it too, that, that tendency to want to control. Let me just say this, you are not in control of anything. A microscopic virus dismantled the entire planet. You are not in control. Russia invaded Ukraine. You're not in control. You can't control the price of milk or gas. So why are we trying to act like, as long as I have the plan and I got my vision, we're just going to do it. No, you're not. There is a king on high and his name is Jesus. He's in control. So kingdom leadership follows. Follows Jesus. Jesus. You say, well, Jamie, come on now. I mean, We we need to make our plans. Listen, I'm all for making plans. I'm all for making goals. And I'm taking my time here because this is the most important one. I'm all for making plans and setting goals. We have to be careful about arrogance that says, if I have a good enough plan, it'll work. You say, Jamie, where's that in the Bible? How about James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16? James says, come now. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, and we're going to spend a year there, we're going to trade, and we're going to make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. If you set a yearly goal, and it's not Jesus' goal, and he says, change it, and you go, no, 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 I'm going to keep it, then you are boasting. Does that make sense? It's funny. What, What did Yahweh call the people of Israel? Rubbing my neck. What did he call them? call them stiff-necked people. You know, there's there's an analogy in football, actually all sports. What is it? You want to keep your head on a swivel. You know what I'm talking about? So running back, wide receiver, you have the ball. You want to keep your head on a swivel because someone could be coming from any direction to get you. It's the same way with the Lord. I made a plan. I want to keep my head on a swivel because if Abba says go here, I want to be ready to go. I don't want to be stiff-necked and say, no, this is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. I got to be the leader. I got to do it. No, 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 head on a swivel. Abba says turn, we turn. Does that make sense? Don't be stiff-necked. Okay, second one. Kingdom leaders are supernaturally blessed. Here's the verse for you to write down. You can study it at home. The chapter is Genesis 39. Just take some time. Study that chapter, and in fact, study the entire story of Joseph. This is what Genesis 39, verses 2 to 3, says The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. If you continue on, there are three more instances in chapter 39 where the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and so he was blessed. The Lord was with Joseph so he succeeded. The Lord was with Joseph so everything that he put his hand to was blessed. In fact, in Joseph's life, the people around him were also blessed by the presence of God with him. Potiphar was blessed. The Bible says Potiphar was blessed because Joseph was in his house leading. And the reason Potiphar was blessed is because the Lord was with Joseph. Then it says about you know, he got Potiphar's wife, that whole situation. Joseph goes to jail now. The prison keeper, the Bible says, the prison keeper was blessed because Joseph was a leader and the Lord was with Joseph. That's what it says. Then he, there's a bunch of dreams, yada, yada, yada. I'm passing up a lot of stuff, baker and wine guy, right? Yeah. Then he goes to the royal house. The Bible says Egypt and Pharaoh were blessed because Joseph was a leader and the Lord was with Joseph. That's what it says. Kingdom leaders are blessed with the presence of God. When they put their hand to something that the Father has said, go after, the Father blesses it. Now, I'm not talking about blessed in the way that I would assume it needs to be blessed. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, sometimes we think in very specific ways about what God is doing. Sometimes God does things and you're like, I don't, I don't understand that. And that's really good for us to yield and submit. Because it could be that you won't see it for years later. Say, Jamie, what's an example of that? How about Joseph himself? He had a dream. And he waited decades before the dream came past. So never stop understanding this. They said of Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verses 38. said, Have you not heard how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. One of the benefits of the new covenant is by grace through faith in Christ, we receive the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. God, fully God, dwells with us. Third. Kingdom leaders understand their insufficiency. Here's the chapter to write down and study on your own: Judges chapter six. Judges chapter six. It's a man named Gideon. Gideon is hiding in a wine press threshing wheat, which you would never thresh wheat in a wine press unless you were super scared of the Midianites, which he was. God comes to him while he is shaking in his boots, and God says, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon is like, who, me? Couldn't be. God says this. This is verse 15 and 16. Actually, Gideon says to God, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house and the Lord said to him, I will be with you. Gideon, not only was he scared, he, he also said, my house is like the, the dumpiest house of all the tribes, and I'm the weakest in my dumpy house. And you want me to save Israel from the Midianites? And God goes, I'll be with you. It's <laughs> It's funny. If we don't acknowledge our own insufficiency, uh, God will make sure we acknowledge it. Because later in Gideon's story, do you remember? I'm about to knock this over. Here we go. You remember later in the story of Gideon? He starts to, okay, okay, I can lead. I can lead. Do you remember what God does? Hey, you're already outnumbered. This is what we're going to do. Tell the men, anybody who wants to go, y'all just leave. If you're scared, just leave. What happened to the army? 20,000 left. And God got, now nah, nah, I want to make sure that you know this is me. <laughs> have, them, have them go by the river, have them lap up water. Let's just see how they drink water. Gideon ends up with 300 dudes. Why? Why? The Bi- <laughs> this is why the Bible is so good. Yes, yes, yes. The Lord says this the people with you are too many. The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So he brought them down to 300. Listen, if you don't acknowledge your own insufficiency, God will make sure you acknowledge it in kingdom leadership. Moses said, I'm a stutterer. Kingdom leaders don't trust in their own competency and their own skill. They trust in the Lord who is with them. The world says we need a leader who has the competency and capacity and training and looks like a leader. In the kingdom, you could be the shortest, youngest brother and you could become king of Israel. Are you all hearing me right now? Kingdom leaders do not trust, everybody look at me. Kingdom leaders do not trust their own training and competency and capacity and experience and role. You do not trust those things. You trust the Lord who is with you. Fourth, kingdom leaders are Jesus-focused and gospel-centered. The question I'm going after here for us is to ask yourself the question, in my leadership, who am I advancing in the eyes of the people? Who am I promoting in those that I lead? That's the question we're asking. Because the world says, promote yourself. And kingdom leaders are promoting the the Christ, Jesus. Here's Hebrews Chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. That sounds like zeal to me. Do you hear that? Yes. 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 Apparently, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, that is the motivation for leadership. That's what that passage said. The motivation for doing anything in the kingdom is looking at Jesus, the motivation for behavior change is looking at the cross looking at Jesus. Jesus said this, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seek first the kingdom. So when you lead, ask yourself, whose kingdom am I promoting and advancing in this endeavor? In my business, am I promoting the king or myself? Fifth, finally, kingdom leaders aim to serve and empower, not domineer. We're going to use Jesus as the example. You can write this down, Matthew chapter 20. It's a great chapter to read. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, send their mama to go talk to Jesus. Do you remember this story? They, they, they live with Jesus and they sent Mama. That tells you something about their leadership right there. Although I love Mamas, I'm not trying to hate on Mamas. Mama goes to Jesus. You can just see it. Sweet Jesus, I got a casserole for you, I got a request. Hey, here's what I want you to do, Jesus. Make it so that one of my sons sits on your right and one of my sons sits on your left in the kingdom. What does Jesus say? You don't know what you're talking about. Who sits on my right and who sits in my left is my father's business. Now, because of this conversation, the other 10 disciples, what are they thinking? I got to send my mama in there if that's what we're going to do. The other 10, the Bible says, are indignant is the word angry, frustrated. You know, like when you work with somebody and then you're a little bit like, I don't like that. They're starting to, against James and John. And what does Jesus say? (laughs) Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones, their great leaders, exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. "'Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, "'and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, "'even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve "'and to give his life as a ransom for many.'" Kingdom leaders are looking at the people around them and asking the question, "'How can I help this person grow into all they are designed to be in Christ?' How how can I give my life so that the people around me are becoming all they have been created to be in Christ? At work, at home, at the church, everywhere. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. So let's make some practical applications, and we're going to come to the table. You'll notice that these practical applications are just those five in application form, the ones I just went through. First practical application, you want to grow as a kingdom leader is this, cultivate the presence of God in your life. You want to grow in kingdom leadership? Cultivate the presence of God in your life. Psalmist writes this, Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. That sounds like zeal to me. Are y'all hearing me this morning? When Joshua got ready to uh, succeed Moses, something very interesting happens. God says this to Joshua. This is Joshua 1, 8 to 9. This book of the law, of course, is more like Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Numbers. You know, it's this, this book of the law, right? It says this, This book of the law, Will not depart from your mouth. But you, he said, the new leader of Israel, this is the most important thing, Joshua. This is the most important thing. You're about to succeed from Moses. This is the most important thing you could do. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to encourage you to cultivate the presence of God in your life. Is Jesus involved in your business? If you're a business owner, I would encourage you to write up a contract and sign your business over to Jesus. You're the boss of this. I understand it's not a legal document. I understand that. Your name's still on the LLC. I I, I get that. I get that. It is a heart posture that says, my job is the king's, not mine. So whatever I do, whatever I step into, whatever meeting I lead, whatever decision I make, Jesus is right here. He's the co-owner of what I'm doing. Not just co, he is the owner. You're the the sub-owner, you're the under-owner, whatever. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you talk to, is Jesus with you. before I I walk into staff meetings, before I go into things, I try, I try, I'm not great at this, but I try to invite Jesus into this conversation. Invite Jesus into this activity. Invite Jesus into this day. Invite Jesus into this meal. Invite Jesus into this sermon so that I'm not just doing stuff in my own strength, but I'm doing stuff with Jesus. Cultivate the presence of God in your life. It's funny, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. Who's the I in that statement? Who's the I? Yeah. For I know the plans I have for you. Who's the I? God. Cultivate the presence of God in your life. Secondly, be regularly filled with the Spirit. This is a common thing we talk about, Ephesians five eighteen. Paul says, be continually filled with the Spirit. Be continually filled with the Spirit. The Old Testament is clear. I just gave you the example of Joseph. It's true of David. It's true of Samuel. It's true of most of the judges. The Bible is clear. When the Spirit of God is on someone, they succeed in their leadership. It is a common theme. Guess what? All of us have the Spirit of God permanently in us by grace through faith in Christ. And we get the opportunity to be continually filled. Listen, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. Because you're talking about some metaphysical, you're talking about the spirit of God and physical reality. But somehow we are to pray for continual filling. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is leaking. I don't know if I got sin in my life. I don't understand that. But the Bible commands us to be continually filled. I have a suspicion. It's not that we're losing the Holy Spirit. is that we're growing into a greater container to collect more of the spirit. That's my suspicion. I can't prove that. I'm just saying, be continually filled. That means when you get up this morning, you're saying, be be filled. Fill me. I want to be filled. And then at breakfast, I'm going to fast, so I want to be filled, right? And then lunch, I want to be filled. And then a meeting, I want to be filled. And before I go to bed, I want to be filled. Because I'm acknowledging that my leadership needs the presence of God. Be regularly filled with this spirit. Oh, this is bonus. This is good. Okay. Uh, when I was in college, I, I, I was learning this principle. I was reading a lot of A.W. Tozer. I was learning about this. And this is, I, I just feel like I'm supposed to say this because it's supposed to help somebody in here. Um, and then, I was caught in cycles of addiction and sin in my college years. And I found that I was reading the word every day. I was was seeking the Lord. And then I was was grievously sinning against the Lord. And I found that in my mind, I was being lied to by the enemy. And this is how the lie would go. The enemy would go like this. Yeah, you're going to receive grace. You're going to receive mercy. But you need a probationary time before God is really going to love you and want to fill you again. And so I began to to be filled with the Spirit and then sin against the Lord, and then I felt like there was like a probationary period. It was almost like a day, maybe it was a couple of hours, where I would confess sin, but I wasn't experiencing grace and forgiveness. Let, Let me tell you right now, the Bible says if you confess your sin... He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness right then. It's not a probation. You don't have to wait. It doesn't matter if you feel it or don't feel it. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Some of you in this room, I'm telling you, some of you in this room, because of sin in your life, you've been deceived by the enemy and you think, I can't be filled again. I can't experience him again because I gotta wait until I read the Bible more. I gotta pray more. I gotta do something else. I gotta volunteer at church. I gotta come to church just to try to earn something. Let me tell you, the gospel says this, you cannot earn his love. It is infinitely towards you All the time in Christ. And he says, come to me. If you are caught in sin, Jesus says, come to me. And I will cleanse you of all sin and all unrighteousness. Immediately. So be regularly filled. I'm not saying sin on purpose, but it's an opportunity to be filled again. That's what I'm saying. One last little bit on this. Ooh. you got to ask yourself the question, if I'm a kingdom leader, am I putting my hands to things that are impossible in my own power? Because if I'm not, I'm not sure I'm a kingdom leader. Let me say that again, because I'm not sure y'all heard me. If you think you're leading something, and when you put your hand to it, you know that you will succeed My guess is you are not leading the way the Father has called you to lead. Because the Father calls us to lead things that seem impossible. That's why you need the Spirit. Until you get nervous about what the Father has called you to lead, you are not yet leading the way he has called you to lead. Until until you get to that spot where you're like, I don't really know how this is going to go. I don't really know if I will survive this. I'm not actually sure if I win. Until you're there, I'm not sure you're a kingdom leader. Because it sounds like you're in Gideon and you need to get down to 300. Are y'all hearing me? Okay, third application. Receive identity and assignment from the Father. This is so important, friends. Your kingdom leadership assignment is directly tied to the Father's mind and heart over you specifically. Let me say that again. Your leadership and assignment is directly tied to the Father's mind and heart over you. That's why we need each other. Okay, I'll prove it in Scripture. Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before time, matter, space, for the first atom was spoken into being, the Father had plans for your life. And when you get that, you find your place of kingdom leadership. Example, God looks at Abram and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to call you Abraham. Did he have any kids? Nope. But the identity of the father was that you're a father of many nations, and I will bless the, the world through you. It was his identity, and it was his calling. Are you all saying this? Gideon, oh, mighty man of valor. Was he mighty or valorous? Valorous, yeah, yeah. maybe. That's a word. No! But the Father saw him that way, and that was his assignment. So I want to encourage you. Take some time with the Father. Literally close your eyes. Picture Jesus. This week, do this. Picture Jesus and ask Jesus, what have you specifically and uniquely designed me to be and do? you start to figure that out, you will see tremendous kingdom leadership coming through you to others. This isn't cookie-cutter stuff. This is what a leader looks like. Chunk, 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 leader. Chunk, 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 leader. Chunk, 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 leader. Nope. Actually, it is the creative, brilliant mind of the Father fashioning each of us individually, uniquely, gifting uniquely and individually to expand the kingdom of God uniquely through that person to the world. So do you know your identity and assignment in the Father's heart? And that is the place where you have success in leadership. Some people don't succeed in leadership because you haven't, you're have not you not actually doing what the Father has created you to do. I said it so good the first time. I don't know. Uh, I I do want to take one second here. I was just thinking about this. I felt like the Father wanted us to to do this. Um, If you've been at our church only within the last year or so, you probably have not seen the transformation that's happening at MCC. Tremendous transformation that's happening here in this place. The presence of God here. Is is beautiful. And I want to say this. One of the most significant leaders who is involved in that is Paul and Julia Rasmussen. Because it is part of their identity and assignment to delight in the Lord and to welcome everyone else to delight in the Lord as well. And I just want to publicly say, I think Raz and what the Father is doing in Raz and Julie has had tremendous, if not the most important, not that he's not the only leader in this place, one of the most important aspects of change and transformation because Paul knows who he is and he does what the Father calls him to do. And we're seeing that shift as a church. Do you all see, you know what I'm saying? And the re, I think the Father wanted me to say that about Paul and Julie because sometimes, y'all been here 10, 11, 12, almost 12? Let me just say this: Sometimes, when people have been in our community, in our family, sometimes we forget their value because because they're so close. And so, I just want to publicly acknowledge and honor Paul and Julie. Because Paul knows exactly who he is and what he's called to do. And I'm just telling you, when kingdom leaders figure it out and they start to push on that, things shift. That's what kingdom leaders look like. Fourth, fix your eyes on Jesus. The one thing that will give you zeal and joy and energy to push through in kingdom leadership is gazing at the beautiful one, his name is Jesus. Jesus. You cannot muster up willpower to lead and be effective. You must gaze at the beautiful one, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When I remind myself again of the gospel good news of Jesus, that even when I was an enemy of God's, he came and died for me to rescue me. He took my guilt and shame on his own body on the cross. When I see that and reminded again, what happens is inside of my heart begins to say, I want to serve this hero. I want to serve this man who died for me. He loved me and died for me. But see, if you, try, if you try to obey outside of Christ, it is a legalistic pursuit where you just, you're just trying to do something as opposed to being, being transformed by looking at the gospel and Jesus and being motivated by gospel love yes. to serve and to give your life. Why would you give your life sacrificially if you weren't staring at Jesus? Survival, like Darwinism, doesn't work that way, right? (laughs) Altruism doesn't make sense. (laughs) Unless I look at Jesus, the creator of the universe who willingly died for me and for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Finally, love and lead others. I'm going to invite the band up. While they're coming, I'm going to read a passage to you. This is what kingdom leadership looks like. This is John chapter 13. Because the table is the place where you want to get clear in your mind what Jesus has done. Come to the table. This is John chapter 13. Let me read you a story. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, the Bible says. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. By the way, that's what the servant of the house does, not the master of the house. And the fecal matter and the blood and mud and dirt is being washed away by the king of kings. And Lord of Lords. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus said, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, well then, don't wash my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I love Peter, man. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, listen, he washed Judas Iscariot's feet. Don't miss that. He washed the feet of the man who would betray him, who the devil had entered. He's washing the feet of a man who the devil had entered was about to betray him. He washed his feet. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, get this, listen to Jesus. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. So I was wrong earlier. Satan entered at that point. So I take that back. Jesus said to him, what, are you, going, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at table knew why he said this to them. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. Jesus, we honor you here in this place. And we tell you that your love is unexplainable And it is inexhaustible. It is undefinable. It is irresistible. And it is a cause of wonder and awe for us. And forgive us when we cheapen your sacrificial love and leadership in our life. So, Father, we honor you that you would come, that you would come in human flesh. And as we prepare to come to the table, Jesus, we ask that you would meet us there, that your body broken for us would be freshly applied to our hearts and your blood shed for us would be freshly applied to our lives. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your leadership. And I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you will come. Come and help us to see the very love and leadership of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to watch a video calling us to the table. And then we will continue to worship.
1: it matters why we do this on the night he was betrayed Jesus broke bread he gave it to his disciples take and eat this is my body he took a cup drink from it all of you this is my blood of the Covenant it is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins of us look at our lives let us recognize our sin let us see the grace of God in the body and blood of Christ broken for us poured out for our forgiveness it matters that we do this let us eat the bread drink from the cup Remember the Lord's death in our place on the cross looking for His return.